It often takes months and sometimes years to detect a serious data breach. But what does it take to catch a potential data security or privacy incident before it escalates into a full-fledged reportable breach? I'm Marianne Kolbesak McGee, Executive Editor at Information Security Media Group. Today, I'm speaking with Ed Ricks, CIO at Beaufort Memorial Hospital, a 197-bed acute care facility in South Carolina. Ed will be discussing the measures he's putting into place to proactively disrupt breach attempts and to protect patient privacy at his organization. So now, Ed, please set the stage for us a little bit. Breach prevention and detection are problems across all industries, but from your perspective, what factors in particular make breach prevention and detection at healthcare organizations so challenging? You know, I think there's a bunch of factors, and, and one of the things is that as healthcare organizations, probably one of the most valuable things that we have is our reputation with our communities and the populations that we serve. You know, there's a, I guess, a very sacred kind of relationship between a patient and a healthcare provider. And one of those elements that just scares everybody is the information that they share with their healthcare givers, you know, and, and obviously it's uh, very confidential in nature. And so every business is kind of, uh, I think, tasked with the same issues around breach prevention and what can happen and losing information and data and what that can mean to you organizationally. I think healthcare is just hypersensitive probably just because of the nature of the information that is shared. I think it's more important to people than their financial information in a lot of degrees. So now, Ed, with that said, what are you doing at your organization to improve prevention and detection of data breaches? One of the things I historically I think we recognized a few years ago is that as a community hospital, we don't have all the resources that maybe some of the larger academic institutions may have or tertiary health care centers. So it's trying to make the most with what we can with our people and our resources and our money. And, and so we've implemented a bunch of technologies over time to try to really help along that. But what we never really did a good job of was having, I would say, a good security program in place. And even though we had probably all the right bullet points from a compliance perspective, it really wasn't an active living security program. And so about, I guess, maybe just over a year ago, we actually hired and um, like a CISO, so an information security director is the role we call it here, who came with a lot of great experience and had built programs and had done HIPAA high-tech audits as a consultant for a number of years. And so he sort of got us up and running for the true program. And that was step number one, is sort of admitting that, you know, we had some big weaknesses and that we wanted to attack and not stick our head in the sand. From there, we've done a lot of things that kind of speak to, I would say, maybe culture and education as much as anything else, to be honest, using some tools that help make our lives easier, I think. So there's always kind of a technology component, both to block activity from coming into our environment and to be able to manage the activity in the environment, I think. But probably a bigger amount of effort has really been around the education and the culture, I guess, of the organization over the last year. So now when it comes to the technology and the process involved with identifying unauthorized activity and the steps you take to prevent this from becoming potential breaches once this activity is detected. Walk us through that process and how do you do that? So from my perspective, there's sort of two elements to breaches or, you know, getting into information that's not yours to get at. One is from the outside and it's a technological um, instance for that. And so how do we manage through that activity every day? Then the other is really from the inside. And honestly, that's to me, the bigger concern, and I think where probably more breaches actually happen, is our own users or folks who have had the proper access to 
systems in our organization, but use them improperly, you know. And so we've got separate tools to manage that. So we've implemented some vulnerability scanning from a technology perspective, obviously the firewall and all the intrusion detection and things that go along with that. And that has helped us, I think. And that's really cut down the number of things that happen internally, even if it's just viruses and things that just took a lot of background time from our technical team to help support and get through. One of the other things that kind of speaks to culture, I think, is we're working with a partner who's got a phishing software. And, you know, I know other people have done this, many people. So we actually have campaigns. Essentially, we change it monthly. This sends out email messages to everyone in the organization over the course of the month so they're not all blasted the same day that look realistic, but our phishing messages, you know, and if a user clicks on it, they'll get a quick tutorial education on, you know, what they should look for in these kinds of messages and how to avoid falling for something that's not an appropriate email attachment and things like that. And it also tracks them. So if they're multiple offenders, I guess I would say, or, you know, if kind of falling for scenarios more than one time, then it will actually escalate up and we'll start to report to back to that person and to their manager and just say, listen, we're trying to educate. Here's what we're working on. And through the campaign, we've had intended and unintended, I guess, consequences, but the intended consequence is our number of clicks on these phishing campaigns has dropped drastically from month one till month, probably we're on seven or eight of this, I would say, which has been great. The converse of that is we got to be careful that people say, all right, I'm not going to open any attachment that comes in an email now because I'm not going to fall for that. And, and certainly what we're trying to do is educate on how you can tell what's appropriate versus what isn't appropriate. But I'll tell you the other, uh, I guess, intended consequence is far, far less, you know, kind of the spyware, the virus, the garbage stuff that can kind of infiltrate your system. Even though we got all the right virus protection and we do all those things, there are still a lot of issues and concerns that can creep up from a technical perspective that we just don't have nearly the incidence of. So that's been really good. And then I would say the third element of that is actually looking at true access to the EMR data, you know, by all users. And we always had a system in place that was actually handled. Our HIPAA privacy officer did the work who was our compliance officer for years. We've had some turnover in that area, so we've got a new compliance officer and then, as I mentioned, our new information security officer. And between the two of them, they sort of developed a programmatical approach to this. Just as importantly, we've implemented some nice technology that can automate so much of what we were doing in a manual fashion before and just bubble up concerns instantly, daily, for things that we should investigate. And, and many times, it's perfectly appropriate access by the user, and that's fine. We just have a kind of a way to work through that with the user, but it's also helping identify inappropriate access. And, you know, we all recognize it happens, and we're a smaller community, and I think there's a lot of uh, folks who have neighbors, friends, relatives, you know, influential people in the community, whatever, that come through here. And so curiosity is no different here than any place else. But since we've been working through this for the last year, I guess, or year and a half maybe with this software, same thing. We've seen the incidents of reportable things that come through us, you know, that we need to take the next step or of action with an employee drop by probably 98 or 99 percent. And part of it is just the awareness, I think, getting that word out there that we are monitoring. It's very proactive. It's very real time. If you look at your own information, you look at your neighbor's information, if you look at someone who you did not provide care for, all those things are sort of built in automatically to the tool. And as I mentioned, sometimes it's appropriate and it's very and can be explained by the user. But when it's not, then we educate first. And if we have to go beyond that, you know, for future 
incidences, then, then we do that. And I think that's sort of helped shift the culture a little bit for us also. So now when it comes to data access and monitoring access with EHR, as you mentioned, how do you go about setting baselines for what normal behavior looks like for a nurse versus a secretary perhaps on a hospital floor or perhaps maybe even a clerk in the billing department? And are you monitoring systems beyond the EHR, like, for instance, in your financial systems? We do, and that has taken us some time to mature that. And part of the the uh, reason for that is that we've got different systems. So we've got, you know, maybe one main EHR in a hospital, which has a billing component with that, and some of our owned physician practices, depending on when we acquired them, they're on one of two different EMRs and potentially a third for billing purposes, we're actually in a big project right now to streamline, get everything in the organization on one full EMR that's got the billing integrated to it. And, you know, I'm, I'm really looking forward to go live actually this summer with, with that, which will kind of help us from a lot of these kind of one-off things. But we were able to integrate the log data from all those applications, both the financial side and the clinical side, to go into this sort of analytics system that we've implemented to help streamline it because otherwise it, it was just untenable for us to be able to go through that from a manual perspective, unless we were investigating concern that someone else had brought to our attention, things wouldn't have surfaced up to us automatically. So I feel really good about where we are with that now from an automated perspective. That's worked well with us. One of the other things that we've done, I think you mentioned, was you know, how do you discern between what a nurse should be able to do versus, you know, a billing person or a physician on a floor or, a, you know, maybe a unit secretary or something. And certainly HIPAA speaks to minimum necessary data, which is an almost impossible thing to make practical, especially with the way a lot of EMRs work. I am really happy with our new build and what we're doing right now in our EMR that we've gone to a purely a role base. So we used to try to restrict access by location, which helped to some degree, but it also broad barriers to providing care. And, you know, my perspective is the EMR should never be a barrier to care. And so the lowest common denominator, any caregiver should be able to access the appropriate information they need instantly without going through hoops or being blocked because of they've rotated for a shift or whatever the case might be. And so it's kind of nice to be able to go to a pure role base that helps define what your level of access should look like. And then we kind of layer on top of that the tools to do the auditing in real time and after the fact. And I think between those two things, we feel really comfortable that we are providing users with the minimum necessary information within the context of the real world that you can, but continually auditing and and kind of following up on that. Now, Ed, how about business associate access? Are you monitoring that? And if so, are there any additional challenges involved with that? Again, another level of complexity for everyone to have to deal with. And and size sometimes is good for us because with our scale, we're able to do things maybe more quickly than a larger organization. But sometimes it's a disadvantage because of the resources. So same thing. We've implemented a technology to help us monitor, track, audit access, make sure that we're current with, you know, annual renewals if necessary of business associate agreements. And that's been really good too. So once we got up to speed with all of that and kind of streamlined and cleaned up what we had, I think that we've got now a program in place that's making life easier for us, easier to manage. We can respond to any request. We know who our business associates are now and can work with them a little bit more quickly. And I think that that's been a nice add also that we've kind of done in the last, uh, I don't know, 12 or 15 months probably. 
So, Ed, you spoke about monitoring access, and you also mentioned earlier about education when it comes to phishing, for instance. How do you prevent outside attackers, like phishing attackers or even malicious insiders, from stealing or compromising credentials of privileged users? Are you taking any steps to manage and restrict access, especially when it comes to the privileged users in your organization? So we are within the degree that we understand what to do, you know, what's right. And we've done a couple of things I think that have been helpful. One is that we've actually implemented a single sign-on solution. It may sound like it's worse because now you've got one user credential that sort of gives you the keys to the kingdom. But what's been really nice is each application can still have very complex passwords behind it that the single sign-on um, authentication can help manage for the user, and the users don't have to write them all down. I mean, in the real world, before we started that project, and we've actually been using this for five or six years now, but before we started that, we did a real-world study here, and like our physicians had to know on average six to seven passwords, sort of depending on their role in the organization, and managed through those as those passwords changed or the complexities were different for each one and things like that, it was impossible, you know, and I got a lot of pushback, and understandably so, that that was a barrier to them delivering care. And so I think going to that environment where we do have one very complex, continuously changing password that they've got to know and remember, but that then gives them access to everything else, which can have changing passwords in the background. It's just not as big of a concern for them. So that's sort of helped to, to one degree. You have some other tools in place to uh, block the intrusions and those things, and none of them are perfect. Technology changes that keep coming and the uh, things that the hackers and, and those folks learn to do quickly over time. You know, they're always half a step ahead, I think, of the good guys. But we are making every effort that we can from a technological perspective, and I think that's helped us. But frankly, as you mentioned, I think it's the education and awareness of people that is the biggest thing. That's going to be your weak point at some spot is people leaving a workstation logged on when they when they shouldn't, sharing a password with someone that maybe they're training them as a new user or whatever. You know, you, you just can't do those things as simple as it seems sometimes. And, and it's obvious to you when I say that. But in a healthcare environment when you've got 2,000 employees, it doesn't even ring true to some people until – They've had the awareness and the education, and I think the cultural shift maybe is, is what it is. And, and I feel comfortable that we're getting there. It's a difficult thing to turn culture, though. So when it comes to monitoring access and investigating suspicious patterns or activity, whom within your organization is responsible for doing that, and how much is the challenge in terms of people, resources, and time to go about investigating things that might look fishy? You know, I think that it would have never been reachable for us to do that if we hadn't put in some automated tools to help us. Uh, so money well spent. Primarily, that process falls upon our um, information security director, and he could have never done it in the more manual role, even though each one of those applications may have had some automated tools built in for auditing access and things like that. It's making smart decisions based upon that information that's the difficult thing to do and how do you make the correlations and things. So I'm, I'm really pleased that we've implemented the technology that's helped make that streamline. So it's a piece of his job. I mean, his his job is to help us manage our entire security program. So, again, a reasonably small staff here, and it's one person dedicated to security from a programmatical perspective, you know, not necessarily technologically speaking. 
uh, we've got the engineers for that work. But so one person and you know will investigate complaints or issues or concerns and working alongside with our compliance officer on that. But from the automated perspective and the follow-up and things like that, we've gotten that in pretty good shape with the system so that one person's able to manage that as a just piece of their job. What's next for your organization when it comes to breach prevention and detection? Anything else that you're planning to implement? Right now, probably the most recent thing that we've done is this vulnerability scanning tool to look for, you know, kind of outdated versions of the different plugins and things like that. I mean, even in what you may consider a smaller community hospital, it's a very complex environment. We've got over, you know, 2,500 devices out there, and it's hard to keep everything at the same version of all the OSs and that kind of thing. So that's kind of nice. And, again, that helps automate a lot of these processes, make it easier. We've actually got exactly five folks that are on our help desk, and so that's, you know, providing support for over 2,000 users and 14 different locations, <laughs> including our hospital. So it's just a complex, busy environment, just like everybody else. So all these tools that can streamline it are really good. And even though they add expense, when you look at what it's helping us save in the long run, it's uh, kind of a smart investment to do that. So that's kind of our newest thing, I think, as far as the future, is really just trying to stay ahead of the curve from security and from what's happened technologically. I think the more advanced technology gets, that's great. All the virtualization, I'm a big fan of that. We've virtualized almost all of our desktop environment for everyone in the organization, and that does help us from an administration perspective, you know, with things. But it also makes it easier for the uh, bad guys who are working and learning and kind of ahead of the curve. If you can get into one area, you can really wreak a lot of havoc. So the newer technology keeps sort of segmenting things virtually a little bit better. I think that can mitigate potential risk, and it's just exploring those options and making sure that it's affordable for us so that we can sustain it. And one last question, Ed, in terms of the bad guys, it seems that smaller and medium-sized healthcare organizations in particular are becoming a larger target for ransomware attacks. Any thoughts on that? Any steps you're taking to kind of stay ahead of falling victim to something like that? So I think it's the combination of making sure we're working with our technology vendors, that we're at the forefront of what they provide from the security measures because everything's got security built into it now, whether it's networking or whether it's virtualization of server end or desktop end. So we've got those tools in place, and let's try to stay ahead of it. Obviously, all the virus scan things that we have both in the virtual environment and in the desktop environment, uh, make sure that we're current with all that and try to watch our vulnerabilities. And, and I think that combination is good. No one can be perfect. You know, Lord knows I know that. So to some degree, you've got to get lucky too. But I, I think you're right. You know, people are smart. These folks who are making money by getting this information, first they want to go for places that are big because they can get a lot of information. Then they want to go to places that offer the least resistance. So we're going to offer as much resistance as we can and, and keep trying to do that. And I think that most folks are trying to do the same thing. Thanks, Ed. I've been speaking to CIO Ed Ricks. I'm Marianne Kolbasak-McGee of Information Security Media Group. Thanks for listening.